Welcome to Books and Rhymes, the podcast that flips the script with a musical twist on your favourite books. I invite guests to pair a book with a song or an album that sparks the same emotional connection. Today's episode is another live episode recording in collaboration with Cassava Republic Press in celebration of the launch of A Small Silence, a debut novel from the celebrated writer and poet Jumoke Verissimo. This episode was recorded live at Library, a luxurious members club situated at the heart of central London. The songs referenced in this episode are available on Spotify and YouTube. Do me a favour and subscribe to the mailing list at booksandrhymes.com. Also, while you're here, why not subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platforms? Follow Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. And remember to tweet your thoughts using the hashtag Books and Rhymes. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Jumoke and Sarah and all of you to this conversation, this live podcast. This book has been a long time coming, um, just because when we started Cassava Republic, and I have to give you a very, very brief story. When we started Cassava Republic many moons ago, like 15 years ago, one of the first authors whose um, story I read was Jumoke's um, story. And it wasn't this particular book, but there was just such an energy and rawness to the story that I absolutely love. And I, over the years, I would ask her, can you please write this book, this story, that we, which is about a compound in Lagos? And you often don't get to see stories like that, of the stories of lower class Lagosians and the visceral life. And that has been recreated in this really amazingly gorgeous book. Thank you so much, Bibi, for that introduction. Hello, and a very good evening to you all. Hello, how are we? Nah, 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 okay. Pause, 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 pause. How many people here have been to previous Books and Rhymes event? Ah, okay, okay, okay. So if you have been to previous events, you know how we roll, right? <laughs> You know that we, we, we like to put enthusiasm in literature, right? We like to put the lit in literature, not lit like, oh, lit like fire, pow. I've asked Jumaka to curate a playlist to this wonderful, oh my goodness, bookgasmic, oh my goodness, utterly just psychologically, intellectually, emotionally titillating novel, A Small Silence. So please, first of all, let us welcome the amazing Jumaka Verissimo. Just summarize a small silence in a few words. Okay, um, I won't give away the, the, um, the book. I'll just say that um, A Small Silence is a, pro- is a book of a professor who returns from prison after 10 years, a professor and an activist. He returns from prison after 10 years and decides to spend the rest of his life alone and in the dark. So he switches up the, l- the light in his room, sends off his relatives until this young woman called Desire comes knocking at his door and everything changes. So, I leave it to you there. (laughs) In keeping with Books and Rhymes, I asked you to curate a playlist to go with the book and the conversation. How was that process for you? Well, I mean, it gave me a different way to look at the book. I, I did enjoy the process. I did enjoy the process because it gave me a different perspective to see how a different form of art translates the work, mm. you know. And researching and trying to pair it was um, enlightening, if that, I should use that word, because there wasn't um, an accurate song for each of the emotions. But, but all, all the emotions were captured in, in beats, you know, and it did something to me to it. It, helped, it gave me a new a new um, idea, you know, perhaps something that could, could be useful for another book mm. in, in future, yeah. Oh, so maybe a book with musical interludes, ooh la la. Yeah. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I asked you to pick a book that inspired a small silence and pair that book with a song or an album. And you picked... Yeah. You picked Asha's A Beautiful Imperfection. I actually like Asha's music, and I like the, the feel, the mood. It's the kind of music I would typically listen to because it, car- it captures the essence, you know, of the story. Sometimes the, it's not about the, the, the lyrics, but it's also about the, the, the feel that comes from that song, you know. Asha's music is probably the one, one of those songs you listen to and start crying for no reason. And it's not because I, I, I want to feel that way. It's because I want to evoke the emotion. I want to, um, just as the reader would, would feel the characters, I want the reader to also sense that. And you can do that, pair the, the book with Asha's song, and you get that feeling, mm-hmm. that sense of, um, that, that, sense, I, that sense of feeling desi- the, mm-hmm. the character's presence mm-hmm. just right there. And it also gives you um, not just emotional feel, you, 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 you feel like you're in a space mm. where you're opportune to listen to the, to, to, the, to the characters tell their own stories, mm. you know. So, yeah. I asked you to pick one song from that album. The way I feel, yeah. Because especially, it, especially because it talks about the relationship between the two main characters. Uh, but then you also get a sense that all of the songs have... Uh, strong emotional yeah, resonance. Strong emotional resonance, yeah. Mm. I'm now going to play Asha's The Way I Feel for you to get a feel of what Jumake is talking about. I feel like I'm floating through existence I feel like I'm living after time I feel like I'm forced to break the silence Is that a crime? Is that a crime? How do you feel? <laughs> Someone said like crying. <laughs> mm. It's a very, it's a song that calls the listener to reflect. When I asked you um, to pair a book, you said that there was no book that um, inspired a small silence. So what is it that inspired a small silence? Um, I think I, I, it's, it was more of a psychological state. It was a mood. Uh, it was like uh, my, my publisher would say, it, it came as a gift and was haunting, actually. Um, I was going through some emotional, traumatic experiences at the time. And I had this friend I would go to his house and would sit and would talk, you know, I'll take a walk from my house to his, and then we sit there and we talk about everything, about Nigeria, about our problems, about this. And that particular night as I sat down, I just, the, the, then there was a power out, uh, I mean, uh, out again. Nepal sees yeah, lights. Nepal, mm. take, they, they carry the lights. You know? <laughs> and yeah, so the, that point, and you know, in, in Nigeria, when the, light go, when, when the light goes off, everywhere just goes. It becomes very quiet just for a little, a little while before the generators come mm-hmm. up. You know, that point, I wondered what would it mean to live the rest of one's life in the dark. Mm. And sitting down there, it, the idea just grew bigger and bigger. And I told my friend, I, I need to go. Mm. I got home that night and wrote what would be the first um, attempt at, um, at this novel. It was a short story. And I just found the ideas going after me. Mm. I, couldn't, I, I, I couldn't do anything. My, my brother was not around, so I, I would end up staying in his house for like um, some few months, drafting just everything that came, you know, about the... I, and afterwards, I would sit in that... And thankfully, <laughs> there, was never, there was never power. So I would sit in the dark. I would imagine what it was like to be a prop. Mm. And I would, 
and I would cry because I was also going through my own pain. Mm. And I would try to, so it was like a purifying process for me, putting my pain on profs, mm. uh, on prof and then desire. And because I've also been very passionate about what happened to the people in Morocco. Morocco mm. is a place that was um, um, demolished by the government some years back. I also wanted to find a way to tell their own story. So I had to create a character, Desire, who became bigger as the story I mean, grew, who was a victim and of, of that demolition then. And so their stories, these characters just wanted to tell their own stories. I, I, initially, I was asking them to, but I found out that they, they, they wanted to take possession of me. They mm. wanted to, me to be in their, 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 um, in their skin mm. and help them tell their stories. You know, so the emotion was something that um, I was also hoping it wouldn't turn out being so sentimental that you, you lose the essence of that, of that emotional tumult they were feeling and help them to understand the cures inside of them. Yeah. So that's for me and the reader. I, wanted to, I, was, I was telling the story, but I, I was also, I'm also open that when the reader picks up the book, it's, it's something... Um, it's, 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 it's a connection that, that creates uh, a character becoming the reader. You know, mm. So when you mentioned that it affected you, mm. I, I felt some kind of, I felt glad. Yeah. It's a quietly destabilizing book, um, but it, it's a book that forces you to reach into your emotions, but you write about it in a way that it's, 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 it creeps up on you. So the reader, you're not aware that you're going on this very powerful journey. It is until you get to the end, and you mess with, 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 with me at the end, but it's until you get to the end that you stop and you think, what journey did I just go on? And you start reflecting on so many things that we're, we're going to unpack um, in this conversation. But I was very interested to hear that you felt this compulsion to allow this, these characters and this story to sort of pass through you, like you're an oracle within which they came out. And because when I was reading it, I was very much, I was, it's something that came to my mind that there just had to be a compulsion. It's a novel that the character detected how you write it. But I also wanted you to pick a song that captures the writing experience of A Small Silence. And you picked? Uh, I picked Simon and Garfunkel. Is that the right? Yes. Yeah. And um, I'm a rock. Because... Uh, there, I, I had so many feelings, I had so many emotions inside of me at the time I was writing it. And um, I just, I think the, the best way to capture it would have been a song with, that, that, that um, spoke of loneliness, you know. Because I was all alone, and these characters are um, on their own trying to understand their place and their existence. And, um, Loneliness enables you to explore, you know, different emotions and try to come to terms with it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I chose that particular song. Okay. I'm now going to play this song for you to get a feel of Jumoke's mindset. I built walls, head fortress deep and mighty. No need of friendship, friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. There's an incongruity to that song. The song is affirming that you're on a rock, I'm in silence, but it's speaking about isolation, speaking about loneliness. Um, just talk about that, please. Um, I guess, what do you do with solitude? What do you do? I mean, that's where the rock comes in. It's, um, and that's also would also, when we talk about the themes in the book, when we talk about what you do with darkness, you know, being alone, being all by myself, um, trying to understand characters that just kept whispering, telling me what I should do, trying to inhabit my space, you know, I had to be solid. I had to retain this. I mean, a sense of self to possess my that that essence that 
help me to navigate their own lives without losing mine, mm. you know. So how did you maintain that balance? In truth, I don't know. <laughs> That's the, I mean, in truth, I don't know. And I, 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 I think it's simply because, you know, when you're doing a writing like, um, and, uh, like this, I, like I, at, the, at the time I was doing the writing, quite a lot of things were happening. Like? I, I wasn't working, so I was broke. Ooh. And, um, I, and I had offers to work, but I just didn't feel like at the time. I had just left, and I was at that point in my life where I just wanted to find out what next, you know. I also had um, aspirations that I needed to come to terms with. I needed to face reality. And I wanted to be a writer. I had support from family. All right, I was, I, I, I was trying to be a writer, a full, a very, quite idealistic, a full-time writer. And, and um, I left my job, and I was broke, and I was alone. And there's still another part of my story that I find it very difficult to talk about, which I, I mean, because I've got family, I may not be able to talk about that as well in this room, which was also haunting at the time. Mm. And they were helping me to go through, through it. You mean the characters were helping you go through it? No, uh, that's, uh, my, my own family was helping me to go through it. And then having to deal with characters that had this heavy story to tell. You know, it was just too many. There were just a lot of things around. Mm -hmm. And then the country was on its own, you know, mm -hmm. going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, Isn't it always? <laughs> like this, you know. So it's just like being thrown into that space where you just feel like, you want to disintegrate. Mm. You just want every part of you to go, you know. And so I, the process of writing it, come, 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 thinking about it now, reflecting back, it seemed like everything was together, but it wasn't. Mm. What do you mean by it seems everything was, toge was together? What is everything that seems to be together? Like each day went, I mean, you Monday and then Tuesday and <laughs> Wednesday, and, but I didn't know how, I, how did it just, because I wake up and I would pick up, um, sometimes, because I, sometimes I would write long write, write or, and then sometimes I would type. And I just, I knew that there was a Monday and there was a Tuesday, but I wasn't conscious of the time. Mm. Because I was, it was like foggy, mm. and I was going through the fog. It was a very trying time for me, really. You know, it was a very difficult time for me. But I got support, both from the characters and both from family. <laughs> I'm glad they, they, I, I got to put some pain on them. Mm. You know? If you had to capture the emotional landscape of a small silence in one song, which song would you select? John Mayer's Gravity. Mm. Gravity is working against me. Desire and Prof in I Am si A Small Silence, um, they have this tension between them. I don't know, are they in love? <laughs> you tell me. I, I don't know, you know. Because uh, it was implied that one of them is in love with the other, yes. but, but you're not sure about their feelings. This book is about, I feel like at the heart of this novel is about uncertainty. Um, it's about untruths. Um, it's about unaddressed, so many uns in this book. So I feel like you lead the, or not you because you know the characters. <laughs> I feel like the characters lead the reader on so many journeys and so many thought processes. Um, but do you think they're in love? I don't know. I, I'm <laughs> going to leave you to decide that, but I'm going to tell you one thing though that... Um, the characters pull you in different, I mean, mm. in many directions, and their own emotions pull them in uh, many directions as well. So different directions as well, which is why I chose the song Gravity. And um, I, I actually keep asking if they are, because I don't know. I, I, I still pick up, you know, try to think if 
desire mm. is desire in love with prof or mm. and is prof in love with desire but whatever if when you eventually read the book i would like to know what you think but sorry <laughs> to to go to that question doesn't that philosophy lie at the heart of the novelist more silence can you really know that which you don't see hmm. can you really know what you don't see that is the question <laughs> The reason I asked about the song that captures emotional landscape of A Small Silence is because it's a very emotional book, but you don't know that you're feeling these emotions. They creep up on you. I, I keep using the word creep up on you because that's what they do. Um, and I, I've, I, I also, it is also my belief that the characters, their lives are creeping up on them. There's a lot of internal dialogues, internal monologues going on, and there's a lot of flux within going on, and there's, there's not a lot that's spoken out. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I mean, personally, I think we always, always assume that things should be definite. You know, that sense of concrete, um, that's, not everything is always in black and white, you know, mm. like that. Um, and the world makes us believe that it should be. And I like to explore that, that in between us, that sense of not having to be in a place or be a thing or be anything. Mm. You know, sometimes you can be in love and not know you're in love. Sometimes you can't, you, you're in a place and you don't even know you're in that place, mm. you know. So that sense of floating and moving in and out of spaces is important to our sense of existence. But we ignore it now and then because we want to be something, we want to define ourselves based on certain things or whatever we want to, our aspirations are. Uh, yeah. One thing that struck out to me is that, like I said, there are not a lot of external communication, a lot of external dialogue. And that struck out to me as one, when you're reading fiction, when you're reading novels, there's always communication. People are always talking to each other, talking at each other, talking about each other. And I noticed that it wasn't that much in this book, but I didn't miss it because there was a way you filled the gap in, in the writing. And so I felt the need to ask you about the communicative atmosphere of the novel. I know it sounds like a strange question, like the communicative atmosphere of a novel, because it's just, when you read it, you'd understand just the way communication is, the way communication is reintroduced to you as a reader. And so I asked you to pick a song that captures the communicative atmosphere of a small silence. Mm. And you picked? Yeah, Simeon. <laughs> Don't let me be misunderstood. <laughs> I get more than my share, but that's one thing I never mean to do. Yeah, I mean, you get that sense from um, desire, and I mean, when they're conversing and when, they, when there's silence filling the room, they're both uncertain of um, what the, the, the other character is thinking of. And there's always that. Um, you know, using the song, hope that what, they wouldn't be misunderstood. You know, and um, I think Simone's, Nina Simone's song captured that both in the mood and, and in, the, in the lyrics as well. Because the two characters come from a place of, um, um, can I use the word chaos again? They've both had their lives filled with so much violence, you know, emotional violence. And so they are battling with that, and at the same time battling with that sense of uncertain feeling they, have both, they both have, and dealing with that in a, in a, play, in a, in a dark room where every, anything can be everything, mm. you know. So um, there's always that possibility of being misinterpreted or misheard. Um, and anytime Desire leaves the leaves prof, leaves prof, she always she's, she battles with that the tension inside of her, the fear that he didn't he, he doesn't recognize what is going on inside of her, 
And prop fuse exactly the same thing too, you know. So that was what I was thinking of when I when I um, thought about Simon's song. Mm -hmm. There are some humorous aspects in the novel. This is not a spoiler, but at the beginning, there's a character that, which is why I said the communication atmosphere, because there are people who there is external dialogue and there is internal dialogue. And Prof has certain people who occupy his mind that he communicates with. <laughs> One of them, the name is spelled D-E-S-A-N-Y-A. -S How do you pronounce that? Desanya. Desanya, okay. So when I'm reading that, I'm like, mm, and I, and I see the name Desanya, I'm like, mm, Desanya, Desire. Desanya, Desire. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then you find that there is a connection between Desanya and Desire. So I say that to, because Desire is a woman, and the next question is a song that captures women's agency in a small silence. Because we've been talking about whether or not Prof and, and Desire are in a relationship, when, whether they're in love with each other, forget relationship because they're just talking to each other, whether there's a strong emotional connection between them. But I wanted to get your thoughts and ask you to pick a song that captures the emotional, the women's agencies in the novel. Bill Withers, I Know Sunshine. Wonder this time where she's gone. Wonder if she's gone to stay. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. And this house just ain't no home anytime she goes away. And I know, I know. I know. Mm -hmm. So, um, because I said women's agency, yeah, but more specific women's agencies in relationships. Yes, here she is. She, she has taken hold of his art because, in in the novel, um, Prof tells his mom and his only friend Kyle to leave the to leave him alone, and this young woman comes and she she, she possesses him and she takes hold of his art. She I mean, it becomes, here is someone, someone who returns from prison and decides to take, to, to be, um, leave alone and um, ignore every other thing happening around him. And when this young woman comes, everything changes, you know. Whenever, she comes around at nine o'clock every night to see him. At first it seemed like, well, you know, she's just a visitor. But from that very first night, the moment she leaves him alone is never the same. You know, that ability to take hold of someone else's art. You know, we, when people say they are in love, they have that sense of, um, you know, being dreamy and all of that. But it's not just being dreamy for him. It's about art taking hold of his life, you know, being responsible for his being. There's that sense you get about... Um, the way he is passionate about her, and not passionate in a I love you way, but passionate in a way that I want to give you my soul so you can help me take care of it and help me heal, or something like that. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that he's passionate about her, um, because he is passionate about her, but does he, how does he let her know he's passionate about her? Does well, she know he's passionate about her? Uh, I, I guess the, the way Prof, you know, in his broken, he's broken, he's a broken man. And he expresses his passion the way he feels best. That's the way he wants to. The reason I ask this question is because in, um, I, I couldn't help but notice that the woman who the first time we're introduced to Prof's mother he is from a very, he, once again through internal dialogues, he's thinking about the Oriki that she calls him. She sits outside and she starts calling his Oriki. And I'm going to ask her to explain what Oriki is. And while she's calling his Oriki, he is trying to remember his Oriki because he's been away for 10 years. And that thing of losing a part of yourself whilst being away and hearing yourself being called to life. 
But what I found interesting is that, once again, like you said, he is, he feels strongly connected to this person, his mother, but he's, in a way, it's almost like he's handicapped from going to connect and receive the love that is so freely given to him. I want to know, what was the, what was the sociological motivation behind this documentation of these women like this in a small silence? I mean, I could just, I could say first that I, I come from a generation of very strong women. And I also, I've seen a lot of strong women, you know, whose story are not told. Um, women who we ignore because they are not, they're not on the stage. They're not there, you know. Um, but their story, someone has to tell the stories. Someone has to create agency for them. Um, I have heard and I have seen some very fascinating narratives before me of women who, that I've come to admire greatly because of the kind of strength that they, they've shown faced with things that typically, let me give you one example. Um, and I, I, it's not exactly connected here to the story, but yeah. Some time ago, my aunt lost her only son. I mean, her first son. And she had lost a child before then. And Robert's broken into their house, the son that she came to visit, it was very early in the morning, and they shot him like over 18 bullets, 18 times in there around. And the day when people gathered around her, and I will never forget, and she sat there, and she swayed from side to side. And I can remember my aunts and my mom and every other person telling her, Cry, just cry, because she wasn't crying, she was just swaying. And everybody was scared for her. And then she said, I'll translate, she said, that's when, when, because she is uh, a person of faith. And she said, when God kills, that was the way she was looking, you, you, you get to say thank you. Now, that wasn't for me, it was how she, what she became afterwards. You know, that continues, it, um, she amazes me each time I see her. And, you know, she would become a rock for people who had lost their own, you know, things close to, people close to them and things like that. And I always ask, why? There are other instances of um, women I've seen who, are, who were in abusive relationships. Mm -hmm. And the way they just decided to leave. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. And make the decision not because they didn't leave because um, they had... Um they just wanted to wreck their relation, their marriage or something. But they left because they were concerned about the future of those around them. And they would say things like, I am not here for myself alone. I am here for people. And, you, you know, and when they mean people, they, will, they're like, they're, they have something more to give. And they'll go back to the 
husband, and they will still enable a relationship. They will create a relationship. They will become friends. And I always ask, how do you do this? With a husband who yeah, was... Yeah, but then they would, I mean, they would have made something of themselves. Like, there were so many stories, like people of, uh, like that around me. Quite a number of women who did... I mean, women uneducated in the sense of... I mean, so it wasn't like education did empower them in a way. They were just women with strong will, people who decided they had to be something. People who decided that their lives could mean something more than it was dictated or given to them. They decided to take hold of their lives. Women who kept their marriages because they also had people around them. So, you know, the, the sense of logic and the way people think they would, they, was always based on the community. I am here. Either I'm leaving the marriage or either I'm staying here. It had to be for the people around me. Either I am, I mean, if my, my child gets killed, I'm going to still be here because I have something to be. I mean, something to do. You know, that sense of being able to hold, hold oneself despite everything turning against you. It's, it's, I mean, it's something that, always, that fascinates me and I, I always want to explore. To me, it's, you know, and what you're saying resonates with the way you wrote Prof's mother in the book. She's a very emotionally resilient person. And I, 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 I'm assuming that a lot of readers who read the book, like me, may have questions about why she was so committed to him, despite, to me, what I would feel was his could be better treatment of her in the book. But could you speak about mother-child relationship in a small silence? And also for people who are like, mm, you should have just left him, Jerry, just left him by himself. You know, what would be your response to people like that? I mean, there's a, there's, um, being Yoruba, there's a, um, there's that part of me that, understand that they say, I, I'm not sure I get, they say or something like that. Like, oh. Yeah, there's that sense of um, um, the ties to, that a mother has to his, to her child, I mean, to her, ch to her child is very strong. And sometimes I wonder if that's in itself not some form of enslavement, you know. In what way? Uh, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a question I ask, which is one of the things that um, gave rise to that tension between mm. Prof and his, his mother. There's always that sense of dedication that is expected, that a child, a mother should have for, for a child. But then, I always, that is the expectation. But my place as a writer is to question that, you know. In it's very important in Yoruba tradition that there's a, the mother is idealized. And, but Prof turns against that, mm. you know? But the mother's dedication is consistent. Yeah. He fulfills a part of what I'll call the bargain. Mm. But Prof doesn't. He doesn't understand that part of the tradition that tells him that despite all, and that could probably be because it's broken too, and sometimes who do we turn to when we are broken? Those we love. And how we respond to them differs, you know. I, I have a sense that Prof really loves his mom, but he, does, he no longer knows how to respond to love, you know. He has this strong connection to her, but he's no longer the... It's no longer the Enyo Lorunda, which is his name, mm. that his mother knew. He's now a man, he's now a man who, is, um, who is a fragment of himself. So he's not capable of love anymore, the way his mother was. Mm. But he loves his mom. Mm. But his mom is still the same person. He's, and that's why... She can, she can um, when she recites the Zoriki to him, which is a praise chant, she's evoking a past that he has lost. She still has the past, she still has the memory, but
But even from the character of Prof, you can see a man whose memory is not, who doesn't even exactly, he doesn't have memory actually. He's disillusioned, he's, um, he's dissolving, he's many things. You know, so is the Oriki brings something else out of him. And when his mom is, is reciting his, his Oriki to him, she's giving him something else that, does not, that no longer belongs to him. Mm. So, yeah. It's like she's tethering him. Exactly. Yes. So Prof's forgetfulness, disconnection from his mother and those who are close to him came as a result of an incident that happened, his imprisonment. And so I asked you to pick a song that captures the political landscape of a small silence. And you selected? Fella. Ten to fifteen years in jail. After one year inside jail, civilian government take over. Them release all of them and say them be innocent. When I heard that particular uh, excerpt of Ami Arrangement by Fela, it just it, it's a narrative of Prof's life before prison in a small silence. Yeah, and um, if you'd observe, I didn't actually, I mean, I just implied that as well in the novel, because I didn't also want um, the Nigerians, Nigerians history is actually everywhere, but it's not also, it's not, it's everywhere, but we don't engage with it, you know. What do you mean by that? We, we, we talk about it historically, but we don't talk about it, um, the way it affects the life of people, mm. you know, and that's, my concern. Yeah. I'm interested in how, what people do with the trauma that they face, mm. the structural trauma that they face. Mm. And, um, and that's why the character, they kind of depict the many years of coup d'etat and violence by in, in their, uh, about the, every, the everyday violence mm -hmm. that, uh, that captured Nigeria after the, the, the um, many coup d'etat. And there, could have, there couldn't have been any better song, if I would say, than Army Arrangement to, to give um, power to the, to the life that Prof had lived. You know, a former activist, a, a professor who is, um, who is very passionate and very concerned about the people around him and who wants to give himself. And each time, although I, I each time I, 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 I think of Prof and his um, love for the country, I think of Ghani Fawaimi, you know. Mm -hmm. And I remember him busting into tears on live TV. It's, I think there are just very few people that would have done that. And we, we, we remember how much he gave of himself. But at the same time, I wanted to create, uh, I, I, we, we understand that part of Ghani, but we don't understand what Ghani Fawemi was feeling inside mm -hmm. of him. You know, what happened whenever he returned back home? Who is Ghani Fawemi? Ga Ghani Fawemi was, um, um, he was an activist, he was a lawyer, he was um, somebody who stood against the, the military, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times. And it was, I would, say, I would say it categorically, I think he was the only person who was uncorrupted. He was non-corrupted. Amongst the many people, among the many activists that fought for, the, um, for democracy, Ganifara Imi remained untouched mm -hmm. by the corruption around him, mm. you know. And I, I know the character of Prof doesn't exactly, he's not Gani, Gani, I mean, Prof is not Gani, 
but I could borrow that sense of passion that Ghani f felt for his country, and I could place that on prof. But I also wanted somebody who was, um, who had this, um, laden with a lot of, of other responsibilities, you know. He also had family he was trying to understand. He also had issues with himself. He wasn't exactly a perfect person, you know, <laughs> in that sense. But what my, the main question I wanted to ask is, how do, how do those that fight for others feel when they go back home? Mm. What becomes of them? We are, you know, we are always like our hero, our heroes. Mm. But are we really concerned about what, what, what they turn out, how they turn out, what becomes of them? How do they, how do they leave? You know, so yeah. I'm going to ask you to read an excerpt from A Small Silence. Okay. So I'm going to read um, where there's a place where Prof comes to visit, I mean, where Prof's mom, mother, comes to visit him just when he returns from prison. If you have the book, it's page 62 if you want to read along. Page 62 <laughs> and, um, yeah. The first time Prof's mother visited him in prison, they sat in silence for one hour before she released a flood of tears. What followed was the sound of her crying becoming a means of communication between them. Prof listened to the sound of her, sni of her sniffling and tried to understand her sorrow. As they sat facing each other, his eyes stayed on the ground, and she, he could guess, guided her eyes to scan the mosquito bites that dotted the skin on his frail body. In the silence, he felt the shame of the moment. She was the last person he wanted to see him in that state. His whole life had been about making her proud of him. Mommy, see, I taught the class. Or, see, Mommy, I will make you happy, so happy. Our other visits to see him in prison went the same way. Silence, tears, silence. There was, however, one time that he raised his head to see what she had become. She was looking at him like a woman, beholding a dead son she was open, hoping would rise and walk. It was that hope that now brought are to his doorstep since his return from prison, leaving him provisioned and keeping on with her infrequent knocks, which was their new way of conversing. She would knock and chant his praise, struggling with the words which fell from her lips, each syllable dragging the other. We used to talk. Let me in. He would wait by the door and listen to her recite his praises before she again departed. He always wanted to run after her, just the same way he had wanted to hug her the day he left prison. Yet he had felt a barrier between them. The visits showed their loss, and how slowly over the years their laughter had receded into a vigor for other activities like activism. I think that passage puts into context a lot of what we've been talking about earlier on. Yeah, um, it's it's um, trying to find a balance between that relationship without sounding very making it very sentimental uh, was quite um, a struggle because there will be times when I would just stop and try to create. Um, or try to evoke a tension that wasn't actually that would that wouldn't create further. I mean, a further breakdown in their relationship beyond what it's already it, it already is. Because I also I, I wanted I wanted Prof's mom to continue to return. Mm -hmm. You know that sense of Why? return. Um, like I mentioned earlier, she felt she had a commitment. You know, she felt if you understand for someone who is always reciting Oriki to him. To, to her son, she felt that she had this burden of tradition. You know, that sense of she, she had to 
keep him. She had to ensure that he wouldn't turn away. He had already, I mean, he was, he was no longer himself. He was no longer the child she knew. But at the same time, she, she was hoping she could redeem him, you know, mm. help him to become something mm. and remind him of who he was. How was it writing silence in a small silence? And how did it feel writing darkness in a small silence? How did it feel? Um, because I, 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 I think because the characters came wanting to tell their own story, I, I, because I did listen a lot, I listened in silence. And um, the internal dialogue was more because there's always that, there's a difference between when people say things and when they feel things, what we feel and what we say and what we think, you know. And exploring that, silence was, is one way of finding how this works and what it can produce. What, what, what would, what, uh, when silence is around us, what comes out of it? How is our life regenerated, you know, in silence? How, what sense of rebirth comes from silence and, and darkness, uh, you know? And when you combine these two, what do you produce? Mm -hmm. What comes out of it, you know? And it's not always, a, we, we, we find that we negate that space most of the time, but there could be something else out of it, you know? Even for people who are dealing with a lot of things, things that could emerge from there, is um, important to listen to that, you know. On a lighter note, maybe there's like there are things emerging from Nigeria's virtual darkness, you know, <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, so there's always that sense of trying to produce something mm -hmm. in a space where we expect a negation, a space where we assume that nothing good can come out of it, and silence is good. Silence is good. Silence takes char the characters here back and then it brings them forward. You know? And that sense of, that is why it seems like it unsettles the reader. Because we don't interrogate silence. We don't interrogate darkness. We don't interrogate it the way we should. We are, we, we've come to terms with it based on what we have been told or what we have come to accept but not on our own terms. Mm -hmm. So it's important to go back and revisit what silence really should mean you know, or what it can mean, what it can produce. Because Manus is such a very strong, it's, 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 it has a very strong presence in a small silence. I asked you to pick a song that captures that madness in a small silence and you picked. <laughs> Rihanna's Dystopia. Feels like I'm going it's a thief in the night to come and grab you. It can creep up inside you and consume you. A disease of the mind it can control you. It's too close for comfort. Yeah, disturbing. Yeah, well, it is what it is. <laughs> um, uh, um, we don't talk about mental illness, illness in Nigeria. You know, mm. we when we don't understand it, we either ignore it or we, we just say, uh, it's just one of those things where we say it's, you know. Yeah. Demons. <laughs> Demons, yeah, exactly. I was talking with someone and I said, a lot of Nigerians are mental illness. And after suffering the trauma of the of, uh, military era, we have people working with PTSD a lot. We call it Nigerian. I mean, it's I mean, Nigerians are aggressive. It's not aggression, no. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is what it is. We're a country that have gone through a lot, and we don't. We ignore it. I mean, when I one of the things I enjoy when I was in Lagos is that when I go on a bus, I enjoy taking buses, and not for and just to see how people respond. The anger on the streets. 
It's, it, is, it is madness. I, it is madness. It is, and it is sad at the same time. Mm. In recent time, we have a high rate of, sorry, no, yeah, no, yeah, go yeah. On. we have a high rate of um, suicide, I mean, high suicide rates now. Ooh. And people's attention have been drawn to this and they're asking questions, but they are not, we are not even, we're not asking the right questions still. People need to pay attention to mental illness in Nigeria. A lot of people have become very disillusioned. I've met a lot of young people who do not know where to turn. Brilliant minds, lots of aspiration, but they are disillusioned. The country has done so many things to them. Disillusioned how? You know, it's, you can be talented and you don't even know what to do with your dreams. And it is not because the dream has become so heavy Everything seems like a problem. Mm. There are people who are uh, schizophrenic, mm -hmm. and they don't even realize it. You see the violence on the streets. Is it, it is not because they, people are so eager to join this and that and um, one um, uh, cult or the other, because they don't even know what to do. They, have, they no longer have a sense of decision. They, they, they can't decide for themselves. They lack logic. They can't think. And it is, it is, people can't think because that sense, when you have been traumatized, you can't even think. You're just floating. You're moving. You're, you see them on the streets. When you say that, I'm now thinking to Prof's mental well-being. Um, because like I said, at the beginning, people tell you that this man is mad. And then you, you know, and then it's quite funny the way they talk about his madness and his behavior confirms that madness, the accusation of madness that they placed on him. But is it, it isn't until you go into his mind, you start hearing his internal dialogue, you start finding out about, until you start peeling the layers of his life, to figure out the genesis of his quote-unquote abnormal behavior. And the question is, is it really abnormal or is he just choosing to bypass what we've been conditioned to do? Um, but I, for me, what stood out and what I want to ask you about is, how did you, what was it like writing about psychological destabilization? in a society where that conversation is not normalized? Oh, well, um, it, was, it was somewhat difficult. But at the same time, when I was growing up, um, I, I grew up a, among people you would call mad, you know? Because my, my mom had a shop in Moshin, and just right at the center there, she would, when she's, she, she's a teller. And so when she's, making dresses and all of that, every, especially during a um, uh, festive period, she, a lot of people would stop at, our shop is at the crossroad. So a lot of people would stop by, and there were some people, I remember Auntie Kane Day, and then there was another, and there, a number of them, and they would stay over, they were mad in that sense. Mad in what way? How did they manifest the, the madness? You know, like, um, and. But the story that my mom told me was that when Aunt Kendi was young, I mean, when she was a child, she, she, she's a, she had a twin, and she would, you know, she was exhibiting some things, like some characters, characteristics that show that something was wrong with her. And she continued like that. She would talk to herself, you know. And nobody took care of her, because why? You know, it's... it's um, we don't take... We don't um, pay attention to things like that as much. But anyway, she would come to our shop, and my mom used to treat her like, um, in, like every other person. The way she would scream at us and say, stand up from there, is the way she would scream to Auntie Kane there as well, you know? <laughs> so, and it wasn't any different for, for me. I would, even when I went to serve later, I would meet Auntie Kane in, um, in Abelkuta, and she recognized me. You know, she had called me among uh, my fellow core members and said, ah, oh, 
me, you know. And all of my friends were staring and they were like, ah, what is going on? Like, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I mean, I also learned a lot from them. There were, there were a few others, but she was the one I could, I, I mean, I remember quite well. And I remember another person, there was um, Baba Yabot, who taught me economics when I had to write my Wayek. He was mad. He came, he, yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, I mean, uh, my mom is actually here too, so she, she, she these were people, so I, I kind of find that we, sometimes, these people are ignored. If you pay attention, mm. we find that they're just people too, mm. you know? Mm. So, um, I've lost my train of thought. No, you, you've answered the question. Yeah, okay, good. So, yeah. my thing is that I rethought my, I rethought how, even though we're aware that people are different and there are different, um, there are different things that inform people's behavior, it made me introspect more about how I received people whose behavior did not conform to how I expect them to be. But my question to you is, given that you're a Nigerian writer, your book is very much, it's a Nigerian novel, but it's a new Nigerian novel. Um, the, the writing is just, your language is lyrical, and you could tell that you're a poet in the way that you've written this. And like I said, the writer has changed, having read A Small Silence. What is your ideal outcome for a reader after reading A Small Silence? I, let me use the word you use. I want, I want you to be, I want to unsettle the reader. I want you to, I want to question, I want the reader to question what is accepted as norm. I want you to go into the world and accept people for who they are. So if anyone has any question they want to ask, please feel free. Hello, everybody. Hello. Um, first of all, I'd like to congratulate um, Jumoke Verissimo on you. this book. I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Ekwa Aga, and I'm actually on the verge of completing my doctoral thesis in post-colonial African literature. In terms of post-colonial literature, Anglophone, especially in Nigeria, that you said, the, the war, the um, coup d'etats, and issues that you have talked about, um, where do you think we should be going from there in relation to your own work that started this kind of conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Great question. Um, I, I kind of think it would be presumptuous of me to know where we will go to. Um, but I could say one thing that we are, it's important to know that we have to go somewhere. And the first step is that in knowing that we have to go somewhere, which we don't even recognize. You pointed out that we're a country without, Nigeria is a country without history. Yes, it is. We do, our sense of documentation is like, um, you know, representing, representation based on people and not uh, an exploration of the events themselves. You know, so that's lack of engagement, that sense of not understanding why these things happen. Itself makes it, it makes it very difficult for us to understand what happens to people. You know, I if once you read when you read my novel, you see that I'm very very interested in people, mm. very very interested because um, the Nigeria that I have come to know plays politics on on the stage. It's politics is in the media, you know. And it ignores the people on the streets. When when history when 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 we tell when when we write when we write history, we we ignore the people who this this history determines or re restructure their lives. And I hope that every other novel that I'll write, if I do write more, when I do write more, will continue to interrogate that sense of the politics, the history, and the people, how it manifests in their lives. 
you know. Too many, too many history books out there, but very little books, very, very little that engages the events and the people and how it, uh, 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 what imp what's important to them. Um, I guess postcolonial studies on its own engages itself. One of the problems of postcolonial studies is that it engages history and politics on the larger frame. I mean, look, looked at the larger picture in itself. And maybe for me that's even in, in itself a problem. And one of the ways of engaging it would be looking at postcolonial tra um, trauma studies, you know, of bringing it two together, the trauma of the people and then um, mm -hmm. the postcolonial history of Nigeria itself. Speaking of postcolonial, where do you think your work, A Small Silence, fits in the, because, you know, with the postcolonial text, you've mm -hmm. seen the first generation of Western educated Africans writing that experience. Mm -hmm. And then um, now we're seeing people writing a migrant experience now. Um, now people are writing um, the continental experience. Where, but I feel like you depart from the prescribed way that we've been used to reading literature by people of African descent on the, from the continent. Um, where do you think a small silence fits in the direction of postcolonial works by Africans? Maybe I'm eventually telling a story that nobody wants to tell. Mm. I mean, um, mm. I've lived in Nigeria most of my life until recently when I moved to Canada for my PhD. And there are stories everywhere. Mm. Mm. You know, there are stories untold. There are stories that they are not, you can't, um, they're not, they're not defined by, you know, by, um, by publishing, mm. what's it called? Like publishing landscapes and the editors and, and all of that. They are just yeah. stories that have to be told. Mm. For me, it's important to tell us, to, to give a voice to people that have no voice. Mm. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and subscribe, rate and review Books and Rhymes on iTunes and your favorite podcast listening platforms. Tell your friends about the podcast and continue the conversation by following at Books and Rhymes on Twitter and Instagram. Have a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic week. Until next time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.